you would take your Bibles and go to the book of Galatians, chapter 1. If you're visiting with us, if you pull that black Bible out in the chair in front of you, Galatians chapter 1, you will find Galatians chapter 1 on page 147. Actually, look for page 146 because there is no 147 on the top page. It just, I don't know why they do that. How is that helpful? They have it on the other, and then you turn the page, they have 148, right? Yeah, and then, but not 147. So look for page 146 in the back of that black Bible. Then Galatians chapter 1, I'm going to read the first nine verses to get us launching into this series, two-part series leadership and membership Galatians chapter 1 I'll read the first nine verses Galatians chapter 1 verses 1 through 9 Paul an apostle not from men nor through the agency of man but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us excuse me out of this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Verse 6 I'm amazed you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel which is really not another only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be accursed. Facebook surpassed over 1.5 billion users as of their last quarter. I think this is as of 2015. So if the social network was a country, it would now be the most populous country in the world, even bigger than China. Interesting too, the United States the users in the United States only accounts for less than 17% in the world. The rest of the world is over 82% of users of Facebook. And I understand in reference to the population scenario, I get that because there's more population obviously in the whole world than in the U.S., but in terms of users of Facebook, you think there'd be a whole lot more, but it's only 17% in the U.S. Social media. Notice the first word I said, social media. Which is actually kind of a interesting word to use. Because when you talk about social, it's, it's uh, kind of redefined. Because it's social on my terms, right? People want to be relational, but not that much. 
uh, social the way I want to be social. I mean, I'm going to post stuff about me on Facebook, and I'll watch stuff about you. But then, if I just don't like the stuff that you put there, I'll just unfollow you. I'm still your friend on Facebook. But I'm social, right? It's kind of an interesting way to define it. Social, really? Oh, yeah. The way I want to be social. So I define what social is. And you define what social is. How you want it. On our terms. Your own terms, my own terms. Unfortunately, this thinking, this cultural idea, has now become a part of the church. You might say, what do you mean? We have a weak view of the local church and its role in the Christian faith. We want to be relational on our terms, our way, when it comes to the church. We want to be relational the way we want to be relational. How do I know that? Christians attend a particular church without joining that church. Some Christians even visit different churches for different things. Well, I like this church because they have great music, that great preaching, and they got this over here, they got this event and this event, so I go to this church for these events, I go to this church to listen to the message, I go to that church to, to listen to music. You might say, oh, people, they do, friends. People actually do this. Or, they don't go to church at all. To a church service, they'll read books, they'll just be a part of small groups, in a Bible study, whatever. And if a church, the very topic that I'm discussing and I'm saying right now, membership, congregationalism, if any church even mentions church membership, the person will come across and say, well, you're being legalistic, you're being dogmatic, you're not loving people. I mean, it's almost as bad as saying you're a drug addict. You're selling drugs. That's how bad it's become. There was someone who was coming here, they were visiting here for a week's time, a couple months, whatever, and I didn't even mention to them membership. It came up in the message. I even, I don't even think I even was preaching on membership. It just came up randomly within the message that I'm doing. And they left the church because of that very reason. They would not come back. He was so angry at me. That's how it's become. Well, here at Common Bible Church, we are a Southern Baptist church, by the way. We believe in congregationalism. And we believe very much so in membership. So, the title of my message, which is uh, Leadership and Membership Part 2, Congregationalism and Membership. And I, I was trying to figure out, there's so many verses that we could read about this. But I chose Galatians 1, verses 1 through 9, for a specific reason, which I'll mention in just a moment. For first, we have to define our terms. What do we mean when we say congregationalism? What do we mean when we say membership? What do we mean? Congregationalism. The last and final court of appeal in matters of the life of the local church is and always should be the congregation. That's congregationalism. The final court of appeal matters of life 
of a local church is and always should be the congregation. It's not a bishop in Rome or Constantinople or Washington, D.C. for that matter. We don't rely on some international body, some national assembly, some conference, some convention. The Southern Baptist Convention or Southern Baptist Church, they don't tell us what to do. Not a president of the denomination, not a chairman of a trustee board, not a committee, not a regional synod, not, not a group of elders even, or a group of deacons, no. Not even the pastor. Now the final court of appeal is the congregation. That's congregationalism. That's what it means. The final responsibility of doctrine, which by implication includes choosing leaders, and discipline, which by implication includes choosing members, in a local church does not lie with deacons or elders, it lies with the body as a whole. That's what it means. That's what we believe. That's what we believe the scriptures teach. And here's some verses for you, which I will read. And you can write them down, you can turn there with me, whichever works, how it will be best helpful to you. But I will read these. We read together Matthew, part of Matthew 18. Uh, we read verses 15 and 16 together. I will read out loud 17, 18, and 19. Well, I'll even read verse 20. When it comes to church discipline, this is the context of the passage in Matthew 18. If you refuse to listen to them, tell it to the church. It doesn't say tell the elders, so the elders are going to know. It says tell it to the congregation, the assembly. If he refuses to listen even to the assembly, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. <clears throat> Truly I say to you, whether, whatever you shall bind on earth has already have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth has already, shall already have been loosed in heaven. In other words, you have authority. The church has authority. That congregation has authority. That assembly has authority. Verse 19, Again I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. Friends, this has nothing to do with prayer. Please do not quote this and say, oh, two or three gathered together, we're praying together. It has nothing to do with that. The two or three are the people that are coming to the person who's in sin. That's what that, that verse has to do with. And Jesus is saying, when you are coming to a person, two or three, and you're saying to this person, there's sin, we see this, we're calling you to repent. Jesus says, I'm there, and if they're not even going to listen to you, you tell it to the assembly. And the final court of appeal is in the congregation in that assembly because they're the ones that say they're no longer part of this church we'll talk more about what that means in just a moment so that's Matthew 18 again the point is it's lies in the congregation uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, Paul says I actually wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he should be an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a viler or a drunkard or a swindler not even to eat with such a one 
What have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are in, who are within? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Again, Paul was speaking to the church of Galatia, not to the leaders, not to the pastor. He's talking about the church. You as a church, remove him. The responsibility lies with you as a congregation. And then we read Galatians chapter 1 earlier, um, verse 6 through 9, because Paul says, If anyone, even an angel from heaven, preached to you a gospel contrary which we have preached, you let him be a curse. If anyone has preached to you a gospel contrary that which you received, let him be a curse. Notice he was speaking to the churches of Galatia. It's their responsibility to hold fast to the doctrine of the faith, to the true gospel. It's your responsibility. As a congregation. That's congregationalism. That's what we mean by this. So if a professing Christian refuses Jesus' lordship by refusing to submit to a local church, a true local church where one exists geographically, their conversion can be questioned by the congregation. They have every right to do that. Because the congregation are the ones who admit people and forbid people. They have that right. They have that authority. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 18. So, congregationalism means that final authority rests with the members of a local church. They hold fast the gospel. They determine who's in and who's out. They choose men to lead, to love, and shepherd according to God's word adhering to the truth. I just kind of, That's a synopsis of what we're going to be looking at over the next few moments. I'm jam-packing all of this in in about 40 minutes. Now, a question came up with someone last week, which I thought was a great question. And I, I wanted to address it. What is the question? How does choosing elders fit in with congregationalism? Remember, last week we talked about you choose elders. Well, how does that fit in with congregationalism? How does that work? Right? I mean, how do you do that? couple things for you. Three, to be exact. Number one. First, you can have a church without elders. Unhealthy, yes. But true, indeed. Nonetheless, it's still true. I mean, you need to have a... Um, going to the book of Acts, these churches sprang up, and there was no leadership. They just People came to Christ. So there's an assembly of Christians coming together as a church to come together as a body to preach the word, to uh, minister the ordinances, to uh, do these things that makes a true church. So you have a church, and you might not have elders, but still a true church nonetheless. Number two, though. Second, God makes men elders or leaders or shepherds. It's a gift. Do I have it up here? Oh, yeah, I do. Ephesians 4.11. Again, I'm going to read these verses. You can write them down or you can turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. He gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. If you go to verse 6, excuse me, verse 7, but to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are the gift to the church. God does this. God makes men elders or pastors. Remember, elders, pastors, overseers, it's the same thing. It's all one. They're not elders, pastors, overseers. They're not three different offices. It's one office. 
The church is called to discern which men God has given them to serve them in this way. So the congregation should be involved in the process of selecting those that God has given to them to lead them. Does that make sense? But then third, leaders should appoint other leaders. So you have both. In other words, elders are called to select or nominate other elders. Paul did this. Uh, Timothy was called to do this. Titus was called to do this. And yet you have in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy is written to give direction to the whole church. How you go about finding elders? What are they going to look like for a church? So the church is involved in this process and other elders which may be there, they're also involved in the process. So this means... Pastors are noticing men with the qualifications to be pastors or elders. And the congregation is noticing it too. So we have members in this church, Conway Bible Church, we have members recommend men for elders to be elders. But also, men who are elders, or pastors, they also are part of nominating that process. So men are called to be elders, but... The congregation affirms that. That's what we do here. So let me help you with something that uh, is probably an article that Mark Dever wrote some time ago. Do you realize that this form of church government is actually a microcosm of our United States government? You realize that? The U.S. government is a republic. And it was built upon this. You have the document, the Constitution. The people, they elect certain people to be their leaders. We see this about them, about their lives. We see this about who they are. We have put them in a position to lead us. And the final say is with the, the congregation, the people, which base it upon this document, the Constitution. That's what we do. The Constitution, the authority is the Scriptures, Right? So here's the scriptures. You have the congregation. They select men to be their leaders. These men shepherd. These men care for them. These men are the ones that direct them and give them guidance. And everyone is basing everything upon the scriptures. Our form of government is based on this. And the article I was talking about is Mark Dever actually wrote an article about how Baptists were the ones that were involved historically in developing this government in the United States. Because it's based upon this model. Okay, so what's so important about congregationalism? Kind of narrow it down. I'll give you five. Five bullets for you. What's so important about congregationalism? Number one, they guard the gospel. We saw that in Galatians chapter one. Two, they affirm credible professions. They joyfully affirm those whose lives and professions of faith show that they belong to Christ. By uniting them to the body and his family. Well, how is affirmation done formally? Through baptism and the distribution of the Lord's Supper. That's the formal way. That's why individuals don't baptize themselves. Nor do, you feed, do they feed themselves the Lord's Supper. I mean, you see people baptizing themselves in bathtubs. I'm not going to go baptize myself. That's, that's not, you don't do that. You do that as a congregation to display this profession. That I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm displaying this to you publicly. Third, 
they unite or receive professors to Christ, professors to Christ, to herself. A local church receives a person into part of them if a person gives a credible profession of faith. They have no choice but to receive them. Fourth, based upon everything that we've read, they exclude hypocrites, i.e., church discipline. It's the congregation that bars and excludes imposters who would harm the members of the family, who degrade the name of Christ. They hinder the church's testimony to the world. It's the congregation that does this. They're called to exclude imposters. Now, leaders are part of this process too. Receiving and excluding people. And they're part of this process in two ways. First, I, along with another person, we interview people designed to become members of this church. So if you want to become a member of this church, you go through the ABCs of CBC, but then the second part of this is you get interviewed by me and another person. Because we, me and the other person, I've had uh, Travis sit in, I've had Michael sit in, we are going to go to the congregation and say, we have heard their testimony of faith. We bear witness to you as two people that they know the Lord Jesus Christ as best as we can see. We can't read their hearts and we're going to do that. But we're bringing them to you as a congregation. So what do you want to do? What say you? See, that's what we're doing. But the congregation has the final say on that. That's the first way. Another way leadership is involved in this is in the disciplining process. We might be the one or two of Matthew 18. But then number five, in reference to uh, congregationalism, they disciple each other. They should strive to keep one another in the love of God, to give grace to those who doubt, to snatch others from the fire, to show mercy. Jude verses 21 and 22. They're called to admonish, to counsel, to encourage, to love. So this means, friends, that congregationalism, notice it, leads right into membership. I mean, it, that's, it just goes hand in hand. They go together. So what is church membership, though? Here's a definition for church membership. Church membership means a covenant of union between a particular local church and a Christian, which consists of the following. The affirmation of a Christian's gospel profession by the church. The church has promised to give oversight to that Christian. And then that Christian promises to gather with the church and submit to its oversight. And the oversight that's given to the church is uh, that's given to the elders or the pastors or the overseers. That's what we mean by membership. And people say, oh, we don't believe in membership. That's not true. Yes, you do. There's some type of way that you affirm somebody, and we're going to look at this later, who's in, who's part of this. We just simply put a formal process on it in this church. So you have, here's the local church, here's the Christian. The, the, the local church affirms this Christian's testimony. right? And then the church promises to give oversight to this Christian and then this Christian promises to submit to this oversight and the oversight is given to the elders that's what membership means so this also means that 
membership is an implication of the gospel of gospel love you might say what do you mean this word covenant is important especially for us who are Southern Baptists a person becomes a member of the church they're saying yes I, I want to covenant with this group I want to be a part of these people I, I believe what they're saying in reference to the scriptures I want to connect myself to this church that's the implication of the gospel you're saying, Lord Jesus, I submit myself to you, and you're saying this to the church. I submit myself to the church, and they're saying, we are making the profession that you know the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not creating faith, they're just affirming their faith. Here we are together as a church. Okay, and let's define church, though. Where is the church? Are we talking about the local or the universal church? Some people say, I'm, I'm a Christian, so I'm part of the church, man. The universal church. Okay. Which is true, right? But this is not like the motor vehicle department. They hand out license to people who have no real attachment. I mean, you don't have people out there, once you get your license, they're like, yeah, yay. You don't have people. Hey, I say, congratulations, right? Give you your license. All right, get out of here. Next person in line, five twenty-three, please. Right, that's what they do. And this, this is nothing. This is not like the motor vehicle department. So you're part of the universal church. Yes, fine, good, sure. The local church is where the church on earth is. Where is the church? The local or the universal? How does a universal church show itself in the local setting? How do you see the universal church? Do you see it? Kind of. It's pretty abstract. You want something more concrete? You go to a local church. That's the only logical connection. You know, of the 114 occurrences of the word church in the New Testament, at least 90 times it refers to a local group of believers. A local church is the active, working, visible complement of the universal church. As Jonathan Lehman says, quote, the local is a manifestation of the universal. You want to see the universal in action? Go to a local church. Listen. Here's strong words for you. Graciously, I say this. A person cannot meaningfully or authentically submit his or her life to Jesus and his delegation in something other than the local church. How are you going to do that? Well, I, I go up on the mountains, man. That's my church. Right? You have anybody say that to you? I, I go up to mountains there in Sedona and I do this and that. Well, that's convenient for you, isn't it? Nobody can see what you're like. Nobody can see how you live your life. Nobody can see how you respond to your wife. Nobody can see how you respond to any of your relatives. Nobody can see how you respond to your neighbors. Nobody can see any of that. Why? Because you're up on the mountains by yourself. 
Well, that's convenient for you. That concept, Facebook, that's exactly the way it is. I'm going to be social with you on my terms. Friends, that is a concept that is foreign to the New Testament. If Paul were to come into our century and see how Christians react in reference to the local church, he'd go like, huh? Wait, what? I'm confused. It doesn't make any sense. Christians submit to a local church via a covenant. It consists of responsibilities, obligations, entitlements, prerogatives, freedoms on both sides. The congregation and the individual. Ah, oh, but why membership? Golly, why has he got to be talking about this? Why membership? Does the Bible actually say, Thou shalt become a member of the church? Yes, in Thessalonians chapter 9. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, there is no command that you, thou shalt become a member of a church. It doesn't say that. I'll admit that to you, of course. But it is strongly implied, friends. Now, I, I gave you five points about congregationalism, but specifically for membership. Let me just pinpoint just three for you, which is kind of uh, rehashing the five, but I kind of put in just three bullet points here. Why membership? Because membership determines who's in, who's shepherded, and who's out. Now, you can go to any, like a Calvary Chapel. They say, we don't believe in membership. Yes, they do. They just don't have a formal way by which they do membership. But they know who's in, and they know who's out. They know who to shepherd. Let me unpack this for you. Number one, she, the church, is God's ordained means of growth for his people. Membership is needed to know who to love. Who do you, who do you express love to? Within a, who do you serve? Who do you care for? Who? who, who? I, I don't know who you are. You have to have a way by which you do it. You want something practical? Here's a practical verse. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. Very practical. Again, I'll read these, or you can, and you can go there with me, or you can read them with me, whichever. 1 Timothy 5, 9. Let a widow be put on the list, only if she is not less than 60 years old, the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, if she has been brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. Why am I reading this? Because notice, Paul is being very specific and practical here. If there's someone that you know that she's supposed to be on the list of widows, there's a list that he had, put her on the list if she's like that. You've got to know who she is. You've got to know people. I mean, this, this is just a practical verse that Paul is writing to Timothy about how to know who's a widow, how you, will you put them on the list? Because they're a part of the church. How do you know they're part of the church? See what I mean? Yes, we submit to God's word. 
Yes, it converts and grows us by the Spirit of God. Praise the Lord. But it is the church that speaks and teaches God's Word being the place where Christians have occasion to submit to it and to minister to each other. It's in the local church. The church belongs to Jesus. And so we as a church, we promise to love you by affirming you, encouraging you, rebuking you, serving you, and overseeing you in obedience to Jesus. You've got to know who's in. It's just practical. The local church affirms a person's faith. You don't create it. In Roman Catholicism, faith is created from the church. We don't create faith. We simply affirm faith. It's the local church that gives persevering, enduring love, designed to keep its members gathered under its wings, and that responsibility is given to the elders. So, practically speaking now, the longer a member stays away from his or her home church, the less capable that home church has at giving oversight to that particular member. Thus, we have more responsibility for members of this church than for members of another church or other Christians. As members, I'm speaking to all you members here, you should foster your relationships with each other first and foremost. That should be a priority for you. So it's meant to be. Because you've covenanted together. A covenant which you will read in about mm, an hour and a half. What does this also mean? I say this graciously. This also means that if someone from another church were to continue to come here, we will encourage that person to return to the church he or she has covenanted with or transfer your membership here. Coming under the oversight of this church. Th that's how strongly we believe the Bible talking about congregationalism and membership. Because it is this structured church that Jesus wants to use as the medium to convey the gospel message. Friends, the message is God's love for people, right? God's kingdom is extended through His church alone. God's authority is exercised through His church alone. The idea is, if you want to know what the future is going to be like, if you want to know how are people going to love each other, how is there going to be peace, how is there going to be comfort, how is there going to be such utopia, what's it going to be like in the future, you know where you're supposed to look? Amongst the church. I don't mean a church service. I mean, okay, that's part of it. What? You guys are sitting there for 45 minutes listening to that clown? That's going to be like it's in the future? No, 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 no. You're not going to be listening to this clown. You're going to be listening to the Lord Jesus Christ. And He ain't no clown. And you're going to be worshiping and serving Him. And you're going to be loving and serving each other in such ways that we've never imagined and even dreamed of. And that little window 
We're looking. And we're trying to, what's the future going to be like? Oh, it's in the local church. We represent God's living grace upon this earth. That God saves sinners, bringing them together in peace with Jesus as our head, with Jesus as our senior pastor. We're a small window as to what the kingdom will be like. We are a living display of the gospel. Proclaim it and live it. We are the gospel. We should display this gospel. The gospel that God should condemn sinners because we have broken His law and yet He shows grace and compassion sending Jesus who lived, who died, who rose, repents and trusts in Him alone. That's the gospel. If you're here, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. This gospel message is for you to respond, to repent and trust in Jesus. We are a living display of this gospel. So, as what do we believe about membership? When we're talking about membership, you're connecting yourself to this church, and it's a way by which we love and minister and serve one another. We're caring for each other. And when people look in and look at this local church, <clears throat> they see what the kingdom is going to be like. That's reason number one. Who's in? Reason number two. The very nature of elders who shepherd God's people, begs the need for church membership. How can one obey the specific command in the New Testament? Hebrews thirteen seventeen, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they give oversight over your soul as those who have to give an account. How am I supposed to give an account for you if I don't even know who you are? You see how this doesn't make any sense? You, there has to be some type, whether you're talking informal or formal, whatever, but you have to know who's in, and you have to know who to shepherd. How can an elder or a pastor know who to or not to shepherd? How, how do you do that? If you don't know who's a member who's not a member, well, we just kind of come and go. Uh, hey, how are you? I'm Jim. Hey, I'm Joe. I've been here for 20 years. Oh, sorry. I didn't. See? That'd be confusing. The very nature of elders who shepherd God's people begs the need for church membership. And the last reason, reason number three, membership is needed to know who to discipline. Do I have the verses in there? Oh yeah, right there. I read Matthew 18, which follows suit with Matthew 16. 13 through 19, this very same phrase that, that Jesus says to Peter, you are Peter upon this rock, I will build my church, the gates of heaven, whatever you lose on earth, the you is plural. So is he saying, Peter, whatever you lose on earth, will you lose in heaven? Peter, whatever you bind on earth, shall be bound in heaven? Is it Peter? Is it about Peter, him? No. It's about those that have the authority with them. It's about the local assembly, which you find out in Matthew chapter 18. It was in reference to the church as a whole. This is who Jesus was speaking about. The last resort for discipline 
and lies with the church, the congregation. You go through this whole process, go to one person, they don't repent. One or two, two or three gather together, they call the person, don't repent. You tell, maybe at that point leadership gets involved, but then you bring it before the congregation, and then the congregation has to decide what to do. And at that point the congregation says, you know what, this person is not repented, we're calling this person, all of us as a church, we go to that person, we call them to repent, they still don't repent, and they say as a church, we have to release you from membership. You are no longer a member here at this church. We embrace you, we love you, we want you to come to this service, yes, and to hear the gospel, but you are no longer a member of this church because you are not reflecting the profession of faith that you say. It's the church that decides that, not me. The church is like an ambassador who makes declarations on behalf of the king. They're given the authority to speak on Jesus' behalf. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 18. So friend, if you're not a part of a local church, a particular local church, and you call yourself a Christian, then you're missing a huge vital biblical element of Christianity. The concept of Christians not connecting themselves to a local church is a foreign concept in the New Testament. It does not make sense. And I say this graciously. If we are united through our submission to Christ's rule. And if Jesus gave those keys of rulership to his church, which he did, then all those who profess his name must connect and then submit to a local church. Facebook is fun to use. I use it. It's fun. But let's not allow this cultural idea to infiltrate and, and usurp the principles of God's gospel word of grace, what he's given to us in his word. And Father, help us as a church, as a congregation, as members, To foster our relationships with each other, yes. But also give us wisdom to build relationships with those that are not members here. That are just visiting. And, and to connect with them and yet to graciously encourage them about connecting themselves here. Identifying themselves with us here. Not that we're the end all be all because we're not. Thank you for Canyon Bible Church. Thank you for Christ's Reformed Church. Thank you for those two men. Thank you that they're being diligent to preach the gospel here in town. Thank you for Clarkdale Baptist Church, that they're being faithful to proclaim the gospel. We thank you for that. Well, Father, use us as a church here that we will display the kingdom in this community. And people understand that we're serious about membership and what it means. 
Thank you for being so gracious to us. Thank you for being so kind to us. If you would, take a few moments and ponder what we've seen about this, these concepts in the word of congregationalism and membership. And, and after a few moments, we will take time to do our worship and giving. And we'll sing our last two songs in our closing prayer. So take a few moments and ponder and think what we've seen in the scriptures today.